0: Hey, what a great church family to be a part of, huh? Man, I am so thankful for what the Lord has done in these, these folks' lives. Man, what, how encouraging. And uh, what a great church family to be a part of. We are going to finish up our series this morning on church membership. And we've been just been going really quickly and kind of covering the details of that. The first thing we talked about was why should we be church members? and the short of it is that we're a part of the universal body of Christ if we know Jesus and so we need to make a personal commitment we need to define our relationship with the body of Christ and with the leaders in the church and the second thing we talked about was appointing and following qualified leaders and then following those leaders as they follow Christ and then we looked at God's word because God is the head of Jesus is the head of the church and he guides and directs us through his word he guides and directs the leaders through the word and the people in the church through the word so god's word is a priority for believers and then this morning we're going to talk about well what then what does that mean for us as a church member what do we do and so if you have your bibles open them up to acts chapter 2 verse 41 and we're going to be going through verse 41 to 47 but right after we read verse, verse 41, we're going to go back and look at some things that happened right before that in Acts chapter 2. I want to just tell you that um, if you're a believer this morning, you are valuable and you have the incredible privilege of being a part of God's family. Man, God loves you and he puts you in a family and God has a purpose for you. And the cool thing about being a Christian is that there is no pressure we are not trying to perform. We are not trying to be good enough. And, and that's actually one of the things we talked about in qualifications of leaders is that when leaders recognize that they're insufficient, that, they're, that, that they're, they don't have what it takes to, to do this incredible responsibility of leading God's people, that's actually the first step in being qualified to realize that you need God's help. And one of the great things in the Christian life is we are not trying to be good enough to get into heaven, and we are not trying to be good enough to deserve to minister and to love and to care for people. Now, here's the other thing, too, that is just so amazing, is that God has uniquely gifted every single person, and the Bible tells us that God has placed each person in a church family to do something unique. Uh, God puts you in his family, and God is going to use you to build up the church, and he's going to use the church to build you. And our ministry of evangelism is powerful because God is powerful. And we look at the folks who have come to know the Lord and and been baptized. That's not the work of men. Um, God uses people in that, but God is the one who opens the heart. God is the one that helps people grow. And we just kind of have the fun of being the tools that he uses to accomplish his work. And that is just so awesome. Now, when it comes to the gospel, and we're going we're gonna to begin and end our message this morning with salvation, the first qualification for being a church member is if you're going to be a member of a local church, you have to first be the, a member of the universal church. So another way to say that is if you want to be a member of a church, you have to be a Christian. So that's our first point. And then our last point is that the church multiplies. That means that God takes a, a group of believers and those believers reproduce, they reach other people. So that's the last part of our message this, this morning. So as we think about salvation, think about this verse. It, it's so awesome. 1 Corinthians one twenty one. For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom... It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. So who's the one saving? It's God. And, he, and, and people don't figure out God. They don't come to God because of their own wisdom. They're actually saved through foolishness. Look at what it says here. For Jews demand signs. See, the Jews, they said, this is what we want. You will give us this. Greeks seek wisdom. So they're seeking. One of the things I love about this is we don't give anybody what they demand, and we don't give anybody what they're looking for. Look at what it says here. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly to the Gentiles. So some people have demands. Some people are looking for certain things. We don't give anybody what they want. We preach Christ. And that's not what anybody's looking for. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 12 says, There's none righteous, not even one. There is none who seeks for God, not even one. And then it goes on right here and it says, But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. See, here's the deal. If God helps people, then they can be saved. We'll see that in our passage today. Now that's the salvation part. The second part is that in the body of Christ, we use our gifts. God gifts us and God helps us to encourage and to build other people up. And you wanna know something? Salvation is not the only thing that's a grace. That's God's grace and God's gift to us. Every single thing we do is God's grace and God's gift to us. Look at this passage. I love this one. The Apostle Paul says, I planted. So Paul was out there sharing the gospel and evangelizing. Apollos watered. So Apollos was teaching and he was training and he was encouraging and he was explaining the Bible to people. And then it says in verse 7 so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. Isn't that awesome? That that what we are completely incapable of doing. We can't build somebody up. We can't help somebody grow. The things we can't do, God lets us do because He does it through us. Isn't that amazing? And so, um, if you have to go this morning, you can go. We're going to look at these things more. So let's let's look at this. Acts chapter two, verse forty-one. We see this at the end of uh, the the, the, uh, day of Pentecost. Jesus has said, hey, I'm going to heaven, but you wait until the Holy Spirit comes. And then the the disciples, they're all waiting. The Holy Spirit comes. They start preaching, and everybody hears in their own native language, even though the people preaching didn't know that language. That's the gift of tongues. And they hear that, and these people put their faith in Christ. And, And it says here in verse 41 so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about three thousand souls so god saves three thousand people on this day through this message and the main requirement for church membership is you have to be a christian so we do have church membership and you have to be a christian to be a member of a church now that doesn't mean you have to be a christian to come to church anybody's welcome anybody can come we love everybody come listen come learn come be a part of things come see god working in people's lives so everybody is welcome but if you want to be a member you've got to be a christian now let's talk about salvation Um, just in your in your bibles look a little bit early Acts two twenty two. So starting in verse twenty two, this is part of what Paul pre- or what Peter was preaching. Men of Israel, hear these words: Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Jesus was here for three years, doing amazing things, and everybody saw that happen. This Jesus, now this is, this is an amazing thing right here, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So he says God planned and intended that Jesus would die. Remember uh, Peter says to Jesus, when Jesus starts talking about dying, he says, no, don't, don't do it, don't go, you're not going to die. And Jesus says, no, this is why I came to this earth, to die for people. That was God's definite plan. God was not going, "Hmm, I wonder how the Jews will respond. I wonder what's going to happen to Jesus. Well, let me kind of watch and see, and I'll kind of make adjustments as we go. That is not what happened. God had a definite plan, and, and it wasn't just that he knew what would happen. He planned what would happen. Now, this is the amazing thing that we see next. This is a hard thing for us to put together in our own minds. But look at this. The definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So he says, you're sinful, you're lawless, and you killed Jesus. You want to know what he doesn't say? Well, it's not your fault. You kind of had no choice. God planned this from the beginning. No, God did have a plan, but each person makes a decision, and they are responsible for the decision that they make. And so he's preaching, and he just says, God sent Jesus, his own son, and you killed him. You're guilty. Look look what it says next. And God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. That's the message. That's Jesus whom we preach. And then you see the conviction of the Holy Spirit in these people's hearts. As they hear that message, and they remember that they sat, they watched, they agreed to the crucifixion and the murder of Jesus, God himself. And that realization hits them. Acts chapter two, verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. That's Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. And now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted. They felt like, oh no, look what we did. We are in trouble. They were convicted. The Holy Spirit worked on their heart. They felt guilty. They felt responsible. They knew that they were separated from God and in trouble. And how did they respond? Look what it says. And they just said, brothers, what shall we do? That was their response. Peter, what do I do? What do we do? Now, what's amazing is you read Acts chapter, you read on in Acts, there's this guy named Stephen. Remember him? full of the spirit, full of wisdom. And he was a gracious guy, a a, a wise person, uh, just a person of very high character. And when they were having trouble with the widows in the church, they said, who can we trust to take care of widows and just kind of manage a really difficult situation? And they picked Stephen and six other guys to be in charge of that. And Stephen preaches this same message He goes through the Old Testament explaining who God is, and and he tells the Jews, you're guilty. And do you know how they respond? Uh, They get mad, they grab him, they say, let's kill this guy, and they take rocks, and they throw it at him until he's dead. So they actually kill him. So this message, for some people is salvation, and for others it inspires hatred. And that is... A personal choice that each person makes, but we also know that it is God who works in the heart, who opens the heart, and who draws people. And so when we choose God, we don't get that credit for ourselves. God helps us respond the way we should respond. And so um, this message, you know, a lot of people, they think, let's change the message so some people will like it. But what we see here is we just preach the truth. We preach Christ. It's not a change of message. It's, it's what happens in the heart of a person who hears the gospel. And so we don't change the message to try to get people in. We just preach what God tells us to preach. And so then they say to Peter, what shall we do? And Peter tells them, verse 38 they make a personal response. And this is something that's important for all of us to, to remember. There are lots of people who kind of hear the gospel. They, they go to church. They're around religion. They, they feel like it's a positive thing. But it requires, Jesus requires a personal response. You need to make a decision. What are you going to do with the truth that you know, that you're a sinner, that you're in trouble, that Jesus was holy and righteous, and he died to pay the price for your sins? What are you going to do about that? and here's what they decide to do verse 38 and peter said to them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of jesus christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the holy spirit amazing see baptism in the new testament always immediately followed salvation and, and actually, we'll look at a verse in a moment, but I'm going to say this, and you've got to think carefully about what I'm going to say. Baptism saves you. Now I hope you're all troubled after hearing that, but I want you to know it is not water baptism that saves you. It is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The moment you put your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit baptizes you into the body of Christ. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. You become a temple of the Holy Spirit. And the reason why we do water baptism, it is an outward symbol of what the Holy Spirit has done in your life. It is a proclamation that I have entered the body of Christ. I have become a Christian. I've made a commitment to Christ. And then we're baptized in water as a symbol of that. And many people get confused and they think, that if they get dunked in the water, that that spiritually accomplishes something for them. It doesn't. It's an act of obedience that reflects something that the Holy Spirit has done in your life. Then it goes on in verse 39 here, and it says, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. Remember that verse we read earlier, if God's calling you, then instead of foolishness and instead of something you're going to hate, it's God's power and it's God's wisdom. What makes the difference is God's work in your heart. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And then there's where we hit verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. These people made had a personal response. And I just want to ask you, there's a lot of people who have kind of grown up, grown up in church. They've kind of been involved in religion, and they're favorable toward it. They see the value of it. They see it's a good thing. But i got to ask you, do you remember the day that you made a decision to follow Christ? Do you remember that day that it was personal? that God opened up your eyes. I know for me, I remember Jesus. I I knew who he was. I knew he was God. I knew he was in control of everything, but I just thought, man, I submit my life to Jesus, and it's going to be terrible. i got to suffer for the rest of my life just to be able to go to heaven someday in the future. I don't want to do that. That would be terrible, all these rules. That's horrible. Man, I'm going to live my life now and try not to think about eternity. But I remember the day that that all changed, the day God opened up my heart and I realized God made me, knows how to live life better than I do. I put my faith in Christ and my life was different. Sometimes kids become Christians and they can't remember that day because it happened maybe when they're three, four, five years old. But I just want you to know that every single person has that moment that God reaches into their heart and saves them. Do you remember it? And I would just encourage you, if you're not sure, <laughs> well, be sure. You, you, can, you can clarify that today. Um, so baptism, I do want to read you this verse. A lot of people point to this verse to say that baptism saves you. It's 1 Peter 3.21. Baptism, so he's just talked about the flood, and then he says baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you so baptism saves you but what what i think is interesting is a lot of people twist scripture but if you just read the verse it explains it baptism saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body what removes dirt from your body being dunked in water baptism saves you not water baptism but As an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What applies the death and resurrection of Jesus to your life? Read Romans chapter 6. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're baptized into Christ. We are baptized into his death. That's not talking about water baptism. That's talking about what the Holy Spirit does. So we're all baptized into Christ. So, salvation church members are saved and in our church uh, before we go to point two the way that that's going to work is that in the new members class you're going to share that your testimony and we want to hear how God saved you and we ask people to use the same outline that the apostle Paul used in Acts chapter 26 read that he shares his testimony and he says before I met Jesus this is what my life was like this is how I met Jesus and then this is how my life has changed since. That's how he shares the gospel. So if you want to become a member, we're going to ask you to answer three simple questions: What were you like before you met Jesus? How'd you meet Jesus? And what's your life? What has your life been like since? And in that, we're going to want you to share the gospel, like like let everyone know you realize you're a sinner. You realize Jesus is your only hope, that he died for you, that he rose from the dead for your sins, and you've trusted him for salvation. You're not trying to be good enough to deserve it. So that's a little practical thing there. So let's talk about the second thing. Church members serve. A healthy church member serves. Look at the rest of this. This is amazing. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We covered that last week. And the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day to day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So one of the interesting things about worship, do you know there's two words for worship in the Bible? Uh, There's not just two Greek words, but there's two concepts. There's several Hebrew words, several Greek, Greek words, but they fall into two categories. To worship is to bow down. It's an expression of submission. But the other one is the word for serve. So serving is part of worshiping. So, and that's one of the things that you see is that as you look here, they were praising God. They were serving God and they were serving each other. Devoted is to continually do something with intense effort despite difficulty. They persisted. They were devoted to God's word. They were devoted to fellowship. Now, fellowship is an interesting word. It's talking about sharing life, completely sharing. In fact, um, probably about a third of the times the word fellowship is used, it's talking about a connection, a fellowship that we have with God himself, what it means to be in his family and to share in the life of God. It also talks, and and you actually see this lived out in this passage, of sharing life with other people, eating together, uh, doing things together, ministering together, ministering to each other, living life like a family member. And then about a third of the time, fellowship is specifically talking about finances. And supporting things, like Paul uses this word when he's talking about support me. And he's using this word when he says to the Gentile church, you need to contribute for the needs of the Jewish church. And so this word for fellowship is financial. It's interesting, a complete sharing. Well, let's think about it this way. Uh, John 1.14 says, to as many as believed him, he gave the right to become children of God. So what happens when you have a kid? I mean, you use your finances to support them. You eat food with them. You share your life with them. Like, you just have it all together. You're all in life together. And that's what this is. It's being in life together. Now, um, when they were devoted to the teaching, what did they teach? They taught the Old Testament. They taught all the things that they had learned from Jesus while he was here on this earth. And then eventually later, they hadn't done it yet, but eventually they wrote the New Testament, and so they studied that. What I think is amazing is we have access to all those same things. We can read the Old Testament. We can read the life of Jesus. We can read the things he taught, and we can see all the things that they wrote in the New Testament. So we have it all, all the same things they had. Fellowship, we can share life together. Now, breaking of bread, here I think in both cases is referring to eating meals. But it's kind of confusing because every time they ate meals together guess what else they did they celebrated the lord's supper and so sometimes when you're looking at the breaking of bread in the new testament that is a reference to celebrating the lord's supper but the early church was doing that all the time and so one of the things that you see the results is there was this awe they say they saw workers they saw miracles happening the same power that jesus displayed he displayed through his spokesman, They were doing miracles. They were healing people as they wrote the New Testament. And as as they were saying, um, you know, Peter saw this vision, hey, you can eat unclean things. The Old Testament said, no, don't eat pork. And then then this blanket comes down, and and God tells Peter, no, you can eat anything. Don't call that unclean. And Peter says, no, no, God, I'm never going to do that. And um, God says, what I say is clean, you don't say is unclean. (laughs) Just right off the bat. I don't care what you think, what I say goes. doesn't matter what you're used to or what your preferences are. And so then when Peter goes to tell people, hey, (laughs) you don't need to eat pork. Well, he was doing miracles. He was doing all kinds of things to verify him as a spokesperson. In addition to that, everybody knew this guy just spent three and a half years with Jesus. And so there was this awe as people saw God working. And it says in the end there, it says that they were praising God. They were singing praises. This is a God-centered group of people. They praised God. They studied God's word. He was their priority. And that's actually one of the most evangelistic things the church does is to be God-centered instead of man-centered. I listened to a worship song this week, and it was uh, somebody singing about how God believed in them. <laughs> I was just thinking, "No. God doesn't believe in us. We believe in Him." It was like, and it was just like this, I'm just thinking, "Oh my goodness." And it, the music sounded great, and I was really kind of enjoying the song until I actually listened to the words. When we come together, it's not to talk about how wonderful we are and how God is our servant to do the things that we want. We worship and we exalt God. And when an unbeliever comes into our midst, they go, okay, this is odd. Because everybody, everywhere, everybody's living for themselves. They're prioritizing, pri- prioritizing themselves. They're elevating themselves. But when I come and I see this group of people Everything about their life is actually about God. They think about God. They thank God. They want to please God. They want to honor God. They live for God. They study his word. Whatever he says, they obey. See, that's what being a Christian is. It's having a broken relationship with God where we rebel against him and we say, no, I'm in charge. Life is about me and I call the shots. And coming to Christ is where we say... No, i have a great need life is not about me life is about god and then we love each other because we're in a family and because people are made in god's image and part of how we love god is to love the people that represent him and so we do love each other but it's not because we are high and exalted it's because god is and so that's what you see happening here they're devoted, and this is the amazing thing. In Ephesians 4, it talks about spiritual gifts, and it just says that we build, the body of Christ builds itself up. The leader's job isn't to do everything. It's amazing how a lot of people think, oh, I come to church and perform for me, provide for me, make a women's Bible study for me, make a men's Bible study for me. I'm coming to church, sing songs for me. And people feel like it's a show that's for them. That's not how we view, that's not how a healthy church functions. A healthy church functions because every single person knows it's my job to encourage and build up the people around me. A leader's job is to train people to effectively use their gift in the body of Christ. And then the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 4 through, I always say 11, even though it ends in 8, but I I go even farther because... talks about how God gives each person a spiritual gift that they are supposed to employ in serving one another. 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 talks about spiritual gifts and how God has put each person in the body to accomplish something that only that person can accomplish. And um, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, what comes in the middle? Love, right? 1 Corinthians 13 the passage on love Romans chapter 4 verse chapter 12 verse 4 through 11 right after spiritual gifts what does he talk about love Ephesians 4 talking about the body building itself up truth speak the truth in love and what do people fight about most in the church or a lot <laughs> spiritual gifts <laughs> they don't love each other I just snorted <laughs> I'm sorry I'm sorry. Maybe that's why you guys were laughing. So we, our purpose, is to use our gifts to serve and build up the body of Christ. We'll edit that out of the tape. (laughs) Hey, we're having fun this morning, right? So this last part, a healthy church is multiplying. And, and there's two important things that I want to look at and just consider quickly here. But look at verse 47. So they're praising God. That's part of how the church evangelizes: is just be right, put God in His right place, recognize God. We it's not what we put Him there, but we recognize Him for who He is. And then look at this. It says, "In having favor with all the people, they had favor." This church loved each other, they were serving each other, they were loving others, they had favor. And I think part of how the church multiplies is that when people show up, they see that we love each other and they see that we love them. You know I love our, our mission statement. Uh, the beginning of it, it says we unconditionally accept people. You don't want to know how some people could, like see that completely incorrectly, we unconditionally accept you. Uh, You come here, we worship you, we will not offend you, we will not tell you anything you don't like, because we just unconditionally accept you. So whatever you think is true, we accept that as true. Wrong. We unconditionally accept people in that it doesn't matter how wrong you are, it doesn't matter what is wrong with your life, we love you and we accept you because God loves you. And the awesome thing is God, through his word, tells us what's wrong with us, and we're going to communicate that to you so you can understand it. Unconditional acceptance. This is what I think is funny. So many churches are so afraid to offend anybody, but then they don't love each other. (laughs) We unconditionally accept people, but then we argue and fight, and we're irritated by everything. Um, Unconditional acceptance. Man, we better love each other. Um, that's how people know we're Christians. And we should love people. One of the things I like about the Apostle Paul is he says, I become all things to all men that I might by some means save some. So many times in the church, we want to compromise truth to try to make people feel okay and to make them feel welcome and comfortable. Other times, we take church tradition. The things we're used to, the things that we're comfortable with, the way we do things. Uh, Sometimes this comes out in in worship wars where people say, no, I only sing hymns, and they're they're committed to a certain style of music. Or we don't use guitars or drums, we only do pipe organs. And um, if you're going to show up here, by the way, wear a suit and tie. Don't you want to wear your best for the Lord? And we take things that are culturally traditional. And we place those on the same level as God's truth. And the thing is, if it doesn't matter, let it go. Let's not offend anybody over anything that's insignificant. But let's not change one thing about what God says to try to accommodate anybody. Let's love people. Let's welcome people. And you know what? That's what was happening. They weren't making unimportant things important but they made all the important things important. And then this is what I like. Look at this. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. God added day by day those who were being saved. God saved people through their faithfulness, through their love, through their ministry. They were God's fellow workers. So that's what we want. That's what a a church member is, is a person who understands that, who's committed to that, and just says, I want to be a part of this church family. And this is what I would like to just say to you, that as a church, we are all members of God's family. If you're a Christian, we're a, a part of the universal body of Christ. You should commit to being a part of the local body of Christ. And we need to love and instruct and serve each other. That's what church members do. And, and it's not like you have to run some big ministry. Sometimes your ministry could be, I'm going to show up and I'm going to make sure that nobody who shows up on Sunday morning is not loved and greeted and encouraged. You might say, you know, uh, I know people that they, they, they go to church and they unlock the church and they turn the heater on in the nursery. That's their ministry. They make sure that those things always happen. And there's all different ways that you can serve and use your gifts. But every person should show up and serve. Uh, We're committed to proclaiming Jesus and inviting people to know him. And so if you're a Christian and if you're committed to this church family, I would just say you should be a member. But I I wanna say one other thing. Don't feel pressured and don't be guilted into it. Um, That's not how we do things in the Christian life. One of the things that the Bible says is that as Christians, we need to attend church regularly. We need to be committed to fellowshipping. But the worst thing is when somebody shows up and they've been gone for a while and people walk up and it's like, so where have you been? (laughs) Putting pressure on people. And what a terrible thing if you wake up on Sunday morning and you think to yourself, man, I just don't feel like going to church today, but if I don't go so-and-so's going to give me heat, and what's Roger going to think, and what's that person going to think? What a terrible approach to the Christian life. Uh, you need to know that you're needed, that if you sh- don't show up, people are going to suffer. You're not going to be able to say hello. You're not going to be able to love people. You should show up because you realize you need it, And because you love God and you want to be with his people. So you should be motivated by the right things, not because of the pressure or trying to perform for the people around you. And that's actually kind of a challenging thing in the church. How do you encourage people to do the right thing without pressuring people to please you? But that's actually something we need to work hard on in the church. So don't feel pressured. This whole thing of church membership, if you're not sure what to do with it or you don't feel like doing it, just read scripture. Pray about it. Ask God for help and guidance. Um, Invite me to go to lunch with you. We could just chat. Me, Craig, any of the elders, we'll just talk to you about it. Um, Just kind of work it through. You, You decide, like you respond to becoming a church member because you believe that it's what God's calling you to do, not because you're feeling pressured. And know this, we love everybody around here. We don't care if you're a member, a regular attender, or a visitor. We love everybody, and everyone's welcome. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for giving us your word. And Lord, I ask that you would help us to be faithful in honoring you. Lord, that we would be a church, mem- a church membership of committed members. That we would be, make a commitment to be a part of the body of Christ. That we would love you and that we would love others. And Lord, I just want to thank you for these baptisms. Lord, for what they represent for these people that you've saved, for these wonderful people that are a part of our family. Lord, we love them. Pray that you would use them greatly in our church family and that you would use us in their lives as well in your name. Amen.